All right, good morning, welcome. Greetings, come on in. If you're home, come on back to the couch or wherever you're sitting. We haven't met yet, my name's Mark. I get to serve as one of the elders and on-staff pastors here at Redeeming Grace, which is my privilege and joy. And I get to continue our series in Genesis 1 to 3 called Origins, Living Life in God's Word. So I want to try to kind of orient you uh, where we are in the series and what this message in particular is about. This is week seven in our series, and we've been seeking a theological anthropology. That's a mouthful. What does that mean? Thank you for that cheer over there. Yeah. We're looking for a God-centered understanding of what it means to be a human being. And so uh, next Sunday will be uh, message number eight in that series. And it's really explaining how the Bible tells the story of God keeping his promise in Genesis 3.15 to bring a redeemer into the world so that his fallen image bearers can be restored to him. So Justin will be bringing that for us next week. The week after that is a TBD. We had planned to do a message on shame, but quite frankly, as we thought about it and talked about it, I just don't feel like uh, we, we were, we, we didn't feel like we were ready to handle such a complex subject on a Sunday morning. So we're not going to do that at this point. But I also want to forecast June and July, those two months, we're going to do an eight-part series called Under the Sun. It's a series from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes looks at what, what happens when you look for satisfaction and meaning from work or pleasure rather than from God. And this would be a great series to invite someone who isn't a Christian to because it just explores all the different ways you can look for meaning and satisfaction in life and how empty they are apart from finding them in God. So that's what's coming in the next few weeks and months. The, the, the big idea of this origin series is that we as human beings are made in God's image. And that has enormous implications for us and how we understand our identity, how we understand what's wrong in the world and what Jesus comes to restore, how we understand the basics of humanity from gender to sexuality to singleness to marriage and, and so much more. But it all starts not with us, but with God. In the beginning, God. There's one hero to this story, it's God. There's one main character in this story, it's God. So the first message of the series, we really focused on God, the creator. This message, we want to kind of come back to that, that theme of seeing life from God's perspective and ho hopefully seeing God in his awesome splendor as a communicator. The big idea today is that God speaks. The God who made the universe by his word calls human beings like us into fellowship with him by hearing and responding to his word. I hope, as Justin prayed in his pastoral prayer, I hope that you will be thrilled and amazed and left in awe by God this morning. I hope I will be too. And so this morning we have... Uh, it's a little different than we often do with the scripture. We have scripture from several different places. So Natalie McCarthy is going to come and read our passage for us, passages for us this morning. So please tune your hearts to hear God's word to us. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 3, 1-9 Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Psalm 33, 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Natalie. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray this morning. We pray. I stand here on behalf of this assembled congregation and we pray. Oh God, make your word a swift word, passing from ear to heart, from heart to lips and conversation. Lord, as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word return empty, but may it accomplish that for which it is given today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are constant communicators. I came across this this week. This is an aerogram. If you're old like me, you may know what this is. When I was in college dating Leslie Harris, we uh, corresponded. And I was in France. I was on an exchange program. And so I could go to the post office and buy these very thin blue papers that were already postmarked, and you could squeeze as much writing and as many words inside that little piece of paper as, as you could, and then, then I'd send it over here, and then she would send something back to me. We did this because we were falling in love with each other, and we wanted to communicate. We wanted to continue that relationship while I was overseas. And we as human beings, we are constant communicators, aren't we? Just think about smartphones, post-it notes, street signs, Sign language. Thank you, Pat, for signing over and over every week and th those who do it with you. 
We're communicators, whether it's Twitter or the book you're going to read on vacation. We are constantly giving and receiving communication. Now, why do we do this? Of course, we know we do this, but, but why? Trees don't do this. Animals don't do this, at least not the way we do. I know your dog can let you know when he's hungry, but dogs don't start newspapers, have prayer meetings, or use bumper stickers, right? There's a, there's a kind of communication that human beings enter into that's unique. Why is this? Well, the reason we find laid out for us here in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is that we communicate because we're made in the image of a communicator. We communicate because God communicates and we're made in his image. God is the original communicator. God speaks. And the thrilling news is that the creator of the universe designed you to be able to hear and understand and respond to what he says to you. He designed you to be able to communicate with him and have a life-giving relationship with him. So today what we're going to do is we're going to think deeply about God's word. And we'll see that in God's word, God himself is present and speaking with his image bearers. And he is present calling us into fellowship with him and calling us back under his kingly authority when we stray from him. It doesn't take much thought to realize we live in a world of a thousand voices, don't we? Constantly bombarded with voices in communication. And each voice has its own interpretation for how to live, how to have a good life, how to find meaning and satisfaction. So we, we must learn how to sift through all the voices to hear and respond to God's word to us. So I want to I set up this message as we go through these several passages just with a simple question. The question is this, what is God's word to us? What is God's word to us? And I want to I respond to that question with a series of questions that I hope will help shape that out in a way that I hope will just stir awe towards God and delight in who he is and a thirst for a deeper relationship with him. So first, I want to just take that initial question and shorten it just a little bit from what is God's word to us to what is God's word? And so we're going to go back to where this whole story, true story, the origins of the universe, the origins of humanity, where it begins in Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to just highlight in chapter 1 and verse 3, God says, let there be light, and what happens? He says, let there be light, and there is light. He says, let the waters under the heavens be separated, and let there be sky and uh, uh, earth, and, and, and it, it happens. We'll see that proceeds throughout the whole chapter. So I want to just, just pause as we hear this. Let there be light and there is light. Let there be lights in the expanse. And there were lights in the expanse. Just ponder this for a moment. If I were to ask you, what is God's word? What, what is God's word? What do you think of? What comes to mind when I ask, what is God's word? For many of you, you might think, well, the Bible is God's word. And that's a true and right answer. But to grasp in what sense the Bible is the word of God, we need a wider view of God. 
We need a Genesis 1 view of God. So I want to remind you what's, what's happening here in Genesis 1. In the beginning, the earth was empty and void. It was formless and, 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 and void. It was lacking order and it was lacking light. There was darkness over the face of the deep. Then God says, let there be light, and there's light. And he says, let there be water over here and dry land over there, and let there be plants and, 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 and animals, and let there be a sun and a moon and stars. Let there be a black hole in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy. Let all these things come into being, and through the week of creation, all these things come about so that on the seventh day, God can say, this is all very good, and we can reflect that in the beginning, what was formless and void and dark is now orderly and teeming with life, and it's full of light. And you know what is the difference between the beginning and the end? The difference is God's Word. That's what God's Word does. When God speaks, there's life. When He speaks, there's order. When He speaks, there's light. God's word is God in action. And we see this pattern revealed to us throughout Scripture. God's speaking word doesn't just evaporate and disintegrate when he's done with the creation. In fact, once he creates the universe, he continues to sustain the universe. How? Hebrews 1.3, he sustains the universe by the word of his power. It's no surprise then that when Jesus, the Son of God, comes on the scene, look what happens when he speaks. A centurion's servant is sick. He speaks to the centurion about this, and the servant is healed, even though Jesus isn't anywhere near the vicinity of that sick servant. Jesus speaks to Lazarus, who's dead, come out of the tomb, and he rises from the dead. Jesus speaks to a storm, and it stops. Why? Because this is the power of the Word of God. Romans 1.16 was read for us this morning. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why? Because it's news. It's God's Word. It's the good Word that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that sinners like us could be reconciled and redeemed and restored to God. God continues to, to reveal Himself and act through His Word. I love the picture in Revelation chapter 1 when John the Apostle gets this vision of the exalted, resurrected, empowered Jesus Christ. And the, the last thing that he notes about him is he says it's, he, he, he sees him with a sword coming out of his mouth. In the imagery of, of Revelation, what does that mean? It means that there's this word that comes from him. And as you read through Revelation, you will find that all Jesus needs to do to judge his enemies is speak. That's how powerful his word is. And so, in Psalm 33, the psalmist reflecting on Genesis 1 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. All those stars, the sky, the blue sky, the moon, the sun, the host of heaven was made by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. 
when you look at the creation, does it have that effect on you? Do you see the creative power of the Word of God, and are you left in awe? If you don't have that experience, you can. God, conform us to the heart of the psalmist to see the creative work of the Word, God in action, and be left in awe at His greatness. And can you see that where God's Word is, God is. His Word isn't just some disconnected, disembodied communication. God is present with his word, and his word is present and active where God is. It's living and abiding, Peter, Jesus' apostle writes, and through it we've been born again to a living hope. So to encounter God's word is to encounter God himself. And that word is always working. And depending on the condition of your heart, to encounter that word is to be drawn closer to God or to grow harder and begin to resist God more and more. The Bible is God's Word. And aren't we grateful for that? It's God's faithful Word and true Word. And all we know, all we need to know Christ and to walk with Him and to be prepared to be a part of the family of God and make our journey to heaven, all that we need and it's required for that is found in the Bible. And that is God's Word to us, but God's Word is wider and deeper and longer than What is God's word? God's word is God in action. Get that connection. It's God in action. It's how he accomplishes his purposes. Okay, now let's bring it a little closer to us. What is God's word to you? What is God's word to us? So I want to drop back into the Genesis uh, narrative here, and I'm actually going to drop into chapter 2 as Adam has been created. Eve isn't there yet. He's he's in the garden. It says in chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded him. There's that word again, the speaking God. And he says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then one other verse, Romans 1 and verse 5. I want you to hear how this connects together. Through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, here's the key phrase, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What is God's word to you? Here is God back in the garden on the scene with Adam. He's not doing this by remote control. He's not sending an email. He's not sending an angel. God is there and he's talking with Adam. Why? Think about this. God says to him, you can eat of all these trees, but don't eat from this one. He's, he's communicating just like you communicate. He's communicating in real speech. Maybe you had a conversation with someone this morning. How's that work? Well, you're talking and you're hearing and you're interpreting and you're responding. And we do that because we're made in the image of the communicating God. We communicate with one another to have a relationship. If there's a person that you never communicate with, it's going to be very difficult to have a relationship with that person. And the same thing is true with God. The first relationship we were made to communicate in is a relationship with God, our Creator, with the living God. I want you to know just three things about God here. As he's speaking with Adam in the garden, First, as I've said already, please get this in your mind. Get a hold of this. God is present with his word. As he speaks, he's there. 
Just like you can, you're experiencing me speaking here this morning. So Adam was experiencing God present with his word. We'll see the ultimate expression of this when Jesus comes on the scene, the Son of God, and he's introduced to us as the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Second, we want to see that his word comes with authority. His word comes with authority. When his word comes, it creates an obligation on the hearer. You know how this works. This happens all the time in our communication. Maybe you want to get a driver's license. So you do your study, you go to the DMV, you take your test, and you get a learner's permit. You get that, and now you have received communication from the state that puts you under an obligation. And so, for example, if you're going to drive with your learner's permit, you've got to have an experienced driver next to you in the car. If you're going to get out behind the wheel of a car, you have to obey the signs and the speed limits and the laws and the, and, the, and, the, and the rules of the road because that communication has put you under an obligation. Well, God's communication to us puts us under an obligation. He's saying, Adam, here, this whole amazing paradise, it's all yours. Eat and you will live and thrive. There is the promise. So Adam's response, his obligation is to trust the Lord. And, and live in the good of this wonderful promise. And by the way, there's one tree over here with a no trespassing sign. on. That's a command. Don't eat from that tree. So there's an obligation. Trust his promises and obey his commands. So God is present with his word, and his word comes with, with an authority. It, gives, it, it comes with an obligation. But also his word is an invitation into a relationship. God has made human beings uniquely able to experience his presence. Do you know that? You can receive his love. You can walk with him as friends. You can live under his kingly rule, experiencing all the benefits of his power and might inside his kingdom. Do you know God this way? This personal way. Do you know and experience his word to you this way, inviting you into a relationship? Do you expect God's word to accomplish these things in you? That's what this passage, these passages can do for us. And let me say this morning, this is why the Bible is so precious to me. When I open it, God, in person, the creator of the universe, talks to me. What's that like? Hey, it doesn't come with angel choirs and trumpets, I'll tell you. <laughs> and sometimes I open it and I read it and like not much happens. So we say, okay, we'll come back and try again next time. But I will tell you, after 40-plus years of walking with God, hearing God in person talk to me in his word, in the scriptures, has made all the difference. I'll tell you that. Being able to answer him in prayer and know him as a person knows another person, has made all the difference. 
Reading the Bible is like having God talk to you. If that's not your experience, ask God to make it your experience. And ask some friends maybe to help you out and work with you to get there. What is God's word to you? I think simply it's trust and obey. Receive his promises with faith and respond to his commands with obedience. It's a challenge to all this, though, isn't there? Not as easy as it sounds. How should we respond to other voices? Chapter 3, Justin preached on this a couple of weeks ago. There's this servant, in, serpent introduced to us in the garden, this tempter, this deceiver. And the first thing he says to the woman is, did God actually say? Here for the first time, for Adam and Eve, is the presence of another voice. And it's a deceptive voice. And notice the first thing he does is to attack the credibility of God's word. Did God actually say? See what he goes for first. Remember the situation. They're in the garden. It's paradise. God has already said everything is yours. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill, fill the, everything, everything is yours. All these trees are yours. Go into the garden and work it and keep it. And one tree over here, don't eat from this tree of life. Knowledge of good and evil. So the, the facts have not changed. But can you see what happens when Satan, the serpent, this deceiver comes on the scene? The facts don't change, but he offers a new interpretation. He says, no, 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 you're not going to die. If you do what I suggest, if you reject God's word to you and go this way, you'll be a better version of you. You'll be the person you really should be. You'll get wisdom. God is holding out on you. Can you see the, the lure here? Can you see what the bait is? It hasn't changed. It's the same for us here today. Be your own God. Be captain of your fate. Be self-determining, self-governing, self-sufficient. The word here is autonomous. The word autonomous is from two Greek words, autos and namos. Autos is the word for self. Namos is the word for law. See where that goes? So to be autonomous is to be a law unto yourself. And there are the two ways to live. You can live by God's word toward you. Or you can be self-determining. You can trust God's promises and obey his commands. Or you can trust yourself to size up the situation and do what you think is best. And so they exchanged God's truth for a lie. And how did that turn out? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. We will never be able to find our way to life without revelation from the outside. If we are autonomous, 
self-laws. We will never find our way to life because every way that seems right to us, we'll chase that one and we'll chase that one and we'll chase that one. Come back for the Ecclesiastes series and see what that looks like in real life and bring your friends and coworkers who are in the middle of living that way. We'll see that it ultimately never satisfies. It only leads to death. And here is the human story. There truly are two ways to live. Come under God's authority and live by his word or reject his authority. Step out out from under that and do what's right in your own eyes and live your own way and reap the consequences, not only in this life, but eternally. How should we respond to other voices? How about this? Very carefully, right? And beware the ever-present seductive offer to be autonomous, self-law. Finally, What is God's word to you when you stray? Back to Genesis 3 and verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Mark 1.15. Just a second, let me get that for you. I didn't have my bookmark ready on that one, sorry. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Adam and Eve have sinned. They listened to the wrong voice and now they're reaping the consequences. They cover themselves from each other and they hide from God. So here's the question, what is God's word to them? Can you see what happens? Look at verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Why would he ask this? Doesn't he know where they are? Does he need that information? Of course he knows where they are. He's all-knowing and he's everywhere present. Of course he knows where they are. So why ask this question? As I read the rest of my Bible... I think I know why he asked this question. Because I read in my Bible how God responds to wayward image bearers. And this leads me to believe that he asked this question because it's an invitation. Where are you is an invitation to come out of hiding. It's an expression of amazing grace. Their instinctive response to to their own sin is to cover and hide, to withdraw and turn away. And aren't we just like that? We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want to get in trouble. But here's the news. They're already in trouble. God is there to get them out of trouble, not to rub their noses in their trouble. Look at what God is doing here. This is stunning. Do you know this God? He doesn't wait for them to make the first move. He doesn't vent his hurt and anger upon them. Instead, he goes after them like a shepherd might leave 99 to go find one wayward sheep. He goes after them in the same way that the Son of God will leave heaven and come after sinners like us. And he comes with a question as we will so often see Jesus engage wayward people with a question. 
I think God is saying through this question, I see you. I see you in your guilt and shame. Won't you come to me for rescue? Do you know why I think this is what he means? Because he says this over and over and over. Come, let us reason. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest from your guilt and your shame and your hiding. Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you're not sure what it means to be a Christian, this is where it starts, right here. Come to him. Don't hide. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to wait to get it all together. Quite the opposite. What he asks for is your sin, your guilt, and your shame. Bring that to him and find him. Trade that in for cleansing and washing and reconciling and new life. What is God's word to us when we stray? Well, there are many things he will say. But the first thing he says in recorded history is this. Where are you? So how about us? When we encounter someone in their sin, what do they experience from you? When you come across someone who's gone astray, your spouse, someone in your family, someone you work with, someone you're in school with, neighbor, how do you respond to someone who's caught in their sin? This was, a, this was a game changer for me as a parent because I, as a parent, actually never thought that I was an angry person until I had kids. And then I realized the kids made me angry. And then I realized, no, it was just there waiting for the catalyst. And sadly, I brought questions to my kids, sometimes spoken, more often thought, don't you remember? How could you? Why would anyone? Those questions aren't quite as productive as this question. And God began to bring a new question to me, and that is, how have I treated you, Mark, when you've been stubborn, slow to learn, Foolish, wayward. Here's a better question. God, why are you showing me their weakness right now? Why are you showing me their sin right now? Here's a better question. God, how can I be an instrument in your hands right now? How might this be an opportunity to lead this child to our great Redeemer? And so I began to learn that questions can help us come alongside someone stuck in sin. Questions can help us understand someone's experience, and often there is common ground in those experiences because I'm a sinner too. Questions can, can create opportunities in relationships to find ways to invite a friend into the rescuing work of Christ the Redeemer. Can you see what's happening in this passage? God isn't just speaking to Adam. He's discipling us to the kind of person that he is.
so that his image can be formed and fashioned in us so that we can bring that to people around us. Do you know this God this way? Do you know this God when you're caught in your own sin? God doesn't run away. He pursues. He's present. He speaks. And one day he'll speak the ultimate word, sending his son, Jesus Christ, the son of Eve and the second Adam who will come to seek those who will listen to him and leave their autonomy to follow him as his disciples. What does God say to you when you stray? Well, the first thing he says in human history is this. Where are you? He's a redeemer. Come home. What is God's word? God's word is God in action. Can you see how vast and awesome it is? It's God in action. It's how God accomplishes his purposes. What do we do with this? Follow the psalmist's example. Worship. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let Redeeming Grace Church stand in awe of God. Why? He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm and it still does. That's our creator, the speaking God. And he's still speaking, speaking in creation. Most importantly, speaking in his word that we know as the Bible. Open your Bible this week. Listen. Answer him in prayer. He's inviting us into a relationship. God of the universe. So let us fear him and stand in awe of him and respond by drawing near to him.